you've tapped or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. Hey, uh, good day, everyone. And uh, we're going to jump into the, the nitty here because we just finished NCAA championship week. We crowned the 2023 national champion and there's so much to talk about. And that's just the match stuff. There's so many other things I'd love to dive into, but we may have to explore doing a season review recap because there's just so much. But Brad Rostrad of UC San Diego, Jay Hosick of George Mason, who hosted a phenomenal event out of Fairfax, Virginia. Theo Edwards of uh, CSUN and Dan, friend of Lewis. Thanks for joining me this week. Like I said, we're going to jump right in. April 30th, opening round, match number one, King from the Conference Carolinas versus Ohio State of the MIVA. Let's let Dan take the first stab at this, I mean, that that's his home conference team. We don't have Conference Carolina representation, so shoot away. Well, credit to Boer and his guys. That game three was awesome, and it was a great way to kind of kick off the tournament. Uh, and certainly, I think, you know, Ohio State kind of took care of business first couple games. I think uh, King was competitive, had some opportunities, but unfortunately, we're a little bit overmatched. But you got to game three, and you saw Davis, and that kid got some kills and found some angles, and uh, they created some opportunity. They had a couple chances to push that to four, and uh, Birch's guys found a way to close it out, but uh, I thought it really set the table so for some great volleyball, and we saw some. It was, you know, King deserved to be there. They they created an opportunity and won their conference tournament, showcased what uh, Boer is doing with that group over the past, you know, 10, 15 years. I mean, he's been doing some great things, and so uh, just uh, are proud of those guys. And then uh, certainly Birch and those guys hadn't been back in a few years, and Birch's first opportunity as a as a head coach, and uh, they took care of business and put themselves on to the next round. Let's jump to the West side uh, view of the situation of Brad Rostrader. Yeah. I mean, set three might've been the most entertaining set of the whole entire tournament. You know, you got set three and then set one in the Saturday night match. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was so cool to see those guys battle and, you know, just watching it felt like the entire arena was pulling for King and <laughs> maybe even some of the Ohio state fans. And it was really cool to see just everyone rally around them and, and try to will them to that third set victory. And really, Jacob Pastor and the Buckeyes, just Jacob was too good over time. And he was good on the big. He was good out of system. And he was great from the service line, which was a, a huge deciding piece in that match. Yep. Back to the uh, the right side of the coast representation, Jay, since you were right there on the ESPN call. Yeah, working it with you. I'll tell you what. Here's the cool thing. There was nearly 2,000 people at that match. Yep. And that gym, you know, holds 10,000 people. That gym felt, in the lower bowl, felt like there was a ton of people in there watching that game. And they were all excited to see it, you know, play out the way it did. I think I think Dan was right. I think Ohio State was obviously the, the favorite. But don't tell that the King. Those kids came out swinging. 38-36 in that set? I mean, that's. That's unreal good. And Davis did a real nice job of bringing that team. But you could see that team was having fun the entire time. You know, they got they they earned their chance. They deserve to be there. And, you know, overwhelming maybe at first for them. But after a little bit, they got into it. They were swinging pound for pound and doing what they could. And hats off to Boer and his program. And I'm sure this will not be the last time we'll see King in that dance. Yep. Back to the left coast. Theo. 
Yeah, I think you guys hit it on the head. Um, it was it was an awesome match. Uh, you know, obviously Ohio State was was the better team and and the victor of it. But to have a stage where you get to see a university like King compete against a school like Ohio State, um, take them into extra innings in the third set, and um, and just like these guys said, I mean, just really prove that they belong there, and uh, you know maybe have an opportunity to stretch that to a fourth, and and uh, it was just a lot of fun to watch and. Davis is awesome, man. And he uh, he lit it up in that third set. I think he hit close to 300 on the night and uh, just a really, really fun and, and a nice way to set off the tournament. So super exciting. And I got to give big props to Rob and Jay. I mean, I feel like these guys were calling that game and, and called a couple others. But, man, you guys did a fantastic job, man. Way to represent oh. the podcast. Thank you. Well, hey, I'm Jay, gonna... you brought up uh, 2000 opening night. I know there was about 8,500 in the finals plus. Closer at what was the total overall attendance for all the rounds? I don't have the exact number, but if you figure 2,000 or so the first night, we had around 7,000 the last night. We probably had 5,000 in between. I'd say we probably got somewhere in the neighborhood of 16,000 or so. Right. I was just, it'd be an interesting, I'd like to compare that metric to last year uh, and where those guys were at over all the rounds combined. You know what I mean? In terms of that. Yeah. I certainly think. Uh, that final was rocking. I was in there with you guys and uh, lots of people, almost uh, all the lower bowl full and the upper bowl was almost two thirds to three quarters full, which was pretty neat. So, yeah, I'd say we were easily up in that range. And and just to give you a little perspective in Hawaii, uh, I'm sorry, not Hawaii, but UCLA last year over the, the final match attendance was 5,700. We had 7,000 in ours uh, and UCLA was at home when that happened um you know i mean not at home but they were hosting on the west coast obviously long beach is right down the street we felt pretty good about that performance so uh super excited just to be able to host it and put on a big party for everybody it was a good time yep i wanted to uh bring up maybe two two three things but hadn't seen jacob pasture play in person or uh, shane wetzel of ohio state and i'm telling you that's some good talent that birch has got uh pasture what an arm <laughs> I mean, that is one strong dude. And uh, I have to say, he did not disappoint. Same thing with Wetzel. I know there towards the end, there is some little freshman errors, like a foot fault. Uh, well, that's actually in the later matches, but I'll stop there. But, you know, in talking to Boer, uh, Ryan Boer, the head coach of King, I did not realize that at one point in the season, and the story that sticks out is what a program like that has to go to to play teams. They play four matches in a row, traveling on buses for six to 10 hours, maybe less than 24, hour, 24 hours of rest. And um, having to put out different teams out there just to make sure he has a healthy lineup out on the court. But I'm thinking if he could spread that out, would his record be different? Because he had some tough matches in that stretch that he's describing. He had a, I think you guys, uh, right, Dan, Lewis yeah. and Loyola, like back-to-back -back nights in less than you know 16 hours. And um, he had some injuries to deal with, but they were four back-to-back-to-back -back -back nights with solid travel that weren't cheap. That included a 10-hour bus ride to a certain airport to get to another place and I mean, it just sounded like a mess, but they still competed on the season, which I was so impressed with because uh, they, you know, they end the season this way, you know, hats off to, to coach Boer. Um, but I'm not going to throw any Ohio state fans under the bus, but they came up that words and like, we are rooting for King in the third set. We <laughs> wanted to see more volleyball <laughs> because they said that, uh, yeah, Boer, uh, Boer King's got a, a middle, uh, Kennedy, uh, Ken Kellen Kennedy, who was such a physical beast in the middle. 
you know, Chosey at four four fifty two, but he was creating so many problems for Ohio State uh, because he just was firing up the team. You know, you could see at the tail end of the second and the third set, and I, you could see it would have been a, a Hoosiers type story in there because everyone's like, "My gosh, this King t- team is playing awesome!" But it was so entertaining to watch courtside and call it as well. So, uh, any other closing thoughts on the opening round first match? We're good. All right. Now, May 2nd, actually, we should talk about the result. Uh, Ohio State wins 3-0 over King University of Carol- Conference Carolinas, 25-20, 25-16, 36-34, the third set uh, winner. So, again, a lot of extra volleyball, which you know was so awesome to see. And then on Tuesday night, May 2nd, you had opening round match number two between Long Beach State and Grand Canyon and opening match number three. Penn State, Ohio State. Let's start with Long Beach State and GCU. Let's have Theo start this one out. Yeah, that was a fun one. Um, you know, I think uh, those two teams were incredibly evenly matched to a certain extent. And, uh, you know, to see to see Long Beach obviously pull it out, uh, I thought they were a little bit cleaner, a little bit sharper through the stretch. And, uh, you know, Grand Canyon, although I feel like they had all year, they had a really fast offense and incredibly effective. It seemed like things were a little off that night. Um, Christian Janke, a guy who has been incredibly steady for them and um, has had some incredible numbers for his career and has done a fantastic job. He hit 185. And, uh, you know, for that team, I think they that guy's got to be a 250 or above type of type of production for them. And um, we're on the flip side, Jackson Hickman, 321 on 28 swings. And then Camden Gianni, um, if he didn't run out of steam, I mean, there was a point in the match where he just seemed like he could not be stopped. I mean, he was absolutely hammering the ball. Uh, but you know, I give my credit to, uh, to Long Beach. I thought they did a fantastic job dealing with it. Uh, Simon Torwey was ridiculous. He hit like nine, but he hit 909 on 11 swings, 10 for 11, no errors. I mean, he was absolutely unbelievable and then Spencer Olivier uh, I thought towards the end of this season and obviously the end of his career I thought he's played really really well hit 385 on 26 swings um yeah and they just I felt like they were a little bit crisper from a passing perspective a little bit better from the service line um and caused Grand Canyon to be in some tough situations and they ended up pulling it out so a really exciting match obviously it went four and I felt like that fourth one could have easily gone to Grand Canyon. Um, they made a couple of mistakes and, uh, you know, ended up losing that. But that was 25-23 and uh, just a, just overall a really, really good match. And, and uh, again, kind of another nice opener to the tournament. Yep. Let's go over to Jay for the right coast view. You know, what I saw over the course of the year, and I think everybody understood this, Grand Canyon was lightning fast to the pins all year long. That was part, and and for the big, that that was part of their moniker. If you were not prepared to have to make quick decisions and move quickly pin to pin, uh, you were going to be in some pretty bad spots with them. And Long Beach, even when they're in system, is not terribly fast. And I, I think Alan would say that as well, that they were not known for being super lightning fast to the pins, um, but their hitters were very adept at, at taking those balls at a high point uh, and, and finding the court in some special way. And they're out of system stuff. They're so used to being slower. Half the game's out of system. So for them, their hitters were able to beat them out of a lot of situations. I think over the course of that match, you saw Grand Canyon's passing and in-system receive get broken down. And when they 
are in system, they were deadly. When they were out of system, they were missing a couple of beats. And Long Beach capitalized on that. I think to me, that was the crux of the matches. If Grand Canyon could stay in system, they could run fast. Hey, Long Beach was just hoping they could hang on and slow some things down and keep up with them. But Long Beach was so good out of system and just it wore them down. And that to me was the match. Yep. Back to the left coast view, Brad. Yeah, I mean, we had some really good middles in this matchup. You got Haldaway, you got Torwe, and then Rico Wardlow, who um, had himself a heck of a night. And I thought the difference was um, Long Beach's serve receive. And that was a big piece. Obviously, they've been held down by Mason Briggs. I think he was in system like 80% of the time on 20 balls, which is pretty ridiculous number to be at. Um, and that was kind of the difference. Grand Canyon was an elite serving team for a large majority of the year and just not being able to get any points from the service line with any aces like they were used to, you know, that makes a difference in those 22, 25 sets, 23, 25 sets um, to help them win. And then like on top of that, you got Spencer Olivier, Mason Briggs, 11 digs each, which is another really formidable stat line from them. So I think Long Beach being a little more consistent from the service line and they've been all year, they've been serving in and playing really steady block defense. Um, was the huge difference that gave them the edge in this really closely contested match with Grand Canyon. All right, let's go back over to uh, Dan. Yeah, I'll just I probably uh, piggyback with what all of these guys said. I think the defensive side really showed in the medium system for Long Beach. Like they they had almost double the blocks. Furry had eight. It was twenty one to eleven. They beat him in digs by about six. And Brad just mentioned the two guys. I, I think that was the big piece, you know, a little bit of breakdown in service receive and then really capitalize on some opportunities Long Beach did and put themselves in a position to, to, to win that match. And uh, so, but uh, certainly, yeah, certainly it was really, really good volleyball. It was fun to watch. So, and well, a- you guys did a great job announcing again, just so you know. So uh, it was really, really good. So. <laughs> well, personally, I was looking forward to this because, uh, I I believe, according to the uh, press notes, uh, the last time they matched up was 2019 uh, or 2018, one of those two years. And they they scrimmaged in the fall, but everyone knows everyone's just kind of playing around with their lineups in the fall, so that didn't count. So head-to-head high-octane offense is going at it with some pretty good defense to to boot. So, But one of the adjustments that was made, and I couldn't exactly make out why and wanted to ask you guys, Cameron Thorne had been starting in the middle for uh, GCU. And then they, I guess, Worley put in uh, Colin Lovejoy. And I was like, you know what? But he's been, he'd been pretty, uh, Thorne had been pretty consistent through the season, but I wasn't seeing anything that would have him pull. But then again, you know, he was getting some good results. So it was a timely pull or a replacement or substitution. But I'm curious if you guys saw anything that, you know, us non-volumetric type people, uh would justify not justify because i mean it was a great move but i wanted to see what you guys thought well at the start of the year lovejoy was their starting middle and he's i think he's a senior he's a junior he's an older guy um and then he broke his hand or something got jacked up with his hand or thumb um somewhere around the end of january he was out um so i'm assuming it was more him just getting healthy and probably had a good good week of training and and probably wanted to go with the older guy but that that's just my thought from what I saw early on with them. Yep. Uh, sometimes though, you got to realize like, and this is nothing against Cameron Thorne or anything. Like if you're looking for a little bit of a spark and maybe he's not playing at the same level you've seen him play. Cause he, 
ended with no blocks and he hit zero 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 so you're like hey where can i make this slight move that might create some energy you might get a, and certainly an older you know middle like colin pops in there and maybe gets a couple touches turns on a few points you know what i mean creates some stuff and so it's certainly and i'm not in Worley's head but as an outside piece i'm like oh, i was just making this shift to kind of see hey to just make a change a little bit shoot you saw the middle change at ucla that was a pretty good change there too you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but all right. Any other thoughts about the Grand Canyon Long Beach State high octane matchup? No. All right. Opening round match number three. And just for you listeners and viewers, I'm using the term opening round match because from my understanding, those first few rounds aren't looked at as part of the NCAA tournament. And I was asking about the seeds. Why weren't the seeds on the bracket, like on the published bracket? Because it's not officially recognized as part of the NCAA tournament. And that's another discussion for later because <laughs> I was corrected many times. Like, no, this is the NCAA tournament. No, this is the opening round matchup. Like why? <laughs> so uh, that brings us to opening round match number three. And this is another great matchup. Penn state versus Ohio state. We'll go with a Jay's home conference representation there. And then uh, we'll go back and forth again. So Jay thoughts on the match. It was a battle of two opposites and one is a fifth year senior and the other one is a true freshman. Those two kids were just going toe to toe. And, uh, you know, unfortunately it did not, it did not go Ohio state's way, but it wasn't because, you know, Penn state was just light years better. It was just a few points at the right time. And I, it was a lot of fun to watch Cal Fisher uh, showed the rest of the country that, a six two six three opposite could really do some damage. Uh, you know, Wildman was good, obviously, and you know, Bogner runs just a really good offense. But Ohio State looked just a hair slower uh, and gave maybe Penn State a little bit more time to get in front. But Pastor was lighting people up, and he had a couple seventy seven mile an hour bombs on the service line. That's just ridiculous. And I and I was telling telling everybody on the broadcast and, and I'll mention it here for those that didn't catch it. If you see somebody serving in the 65 to 70 mile an hour range, that's like throwing a 95 mile an hour to hundred mile an hour pitch in baseball. It's ridiculously fast. These guys are hitting 72, 74, 77. That's like facing 105 mile an hour, 106 mile an hour pitch in baseball. That's dumb. No, not many people are doing that at this level uh, and pastors doing it and hitting it with consistency. And Wildman was doing it a couple of times and it's just, it's really fun to watch. And when you see it live, like you, you, it sounds different and it just looks different. And these pastors have got to make lightning quick decisions and they did a nice job all night long on both sides. All right. Let's bounce over to Theo on the Penn state, Ohio state matchup. Yeah, I think, you know, and I want to kind of reiterate some of the stuff that Jay's talking about. I mean, these serves and some of the the speeds that the radar gun is picking up, you know, you go back 10 years ago, and this was unheard of in the college game. I mean, absolutely unheard of. And obviously, at the international level, we saw servers doing this. We saw the Clay Stanleys of the world starting to hit that 70 mile per hour range and, and getting in there pretty consistently. But the college kids were never at that level. Um, and now you're starting to see multiple guys around the country in multiple conferences that can do it and can do it on a regular basis, 71, 72. And then the 76s, which is just like, I mean, like Jay said, it's unheard of. 
it's unheard of to hit the ball that fast. Um, but man, I, yeah, I think back to this match between Ohio State and Penn State, this was, this was a fantastic matchup. And I, you know, I think if Jacob Pastor doesn't run out of gas, um, you know, maybe this goes a little bit further and stretches down the distance. You know, Pastor had 46 swings, um, 16 kills. He only hit 043 for them. Um, and I think that in order for them to beat a team like Penn State, who was just absolutely electric from the pins and, um, you know, high volume, on Bogger did just a fantastic job, um, you know. And then similar to what Jay was talking about, the opposites, Cal Fisher, Jesus. I mean, 533 on 30 swings. I mean, he was just unstoppable. 18 kills and only two errors, which is just absolutely unheard of. And then Shane Wetzel, I mean, he hit 484 on 31 swings and only had five errors. I mean, just some really, really high level volleyball. And, you know, when you when you look at the box score, Ohio State did a fantastic job on defense at 41 digs and kind of outdug them. But Penn State did a fantastic job blocking. And I really feel like, uh, you know, when you look at the matchups and you see what coaches are doing, they obviously strategized against Pastor and they put a ton of hands in front of them and, and effect, effectively were able to slow him down and win that match. Great call. Jump over to Dan, you know, representing Amoeba, but I'd say he'll only get to see Shane Wetzel for three more years. And uh, <laughs> it's a good piece that I'm sure Lewis is looking forward to to adjust to. Yeah, why well, Theo did a nice job. He almost covered everything. So, um, <laughs> so uh, I think he brought up the blocking. I think, but Penn State had 26, 28. I mean, 26 blocks to Ohio State's eight. I mean, that's that's a pretty big stat line difference. Uh, and really, you know, Stevens was negative. Pasture was zero four three, and so they really kind of shut down the front pin. Uh, and then you had a couple of deuce games there. So I, I think, um, you know, I think we could have been in store for some better volleyball. It's interesting that we talked about in this medium system where Grand, Grand Canyon uh, got caught in the medium system and wasn't great. Then you see Ohio State, they kind of got caught in this medium system because of all the serving pressure. Uh, and they weren't as good, except for, you know, Shane was still pretty good. Uh, you didn't see a ton of middle action like Cole Young uh, hit what, 700 for seven for 10, and both Penn State's middles didn't get a lot of attempts. It was like six total between the two uh, in terms of that. So you you saw a lot of volleyball being played in meeting system, and Penn State just did a better job in terms of uh, uh, executing that from that standpoint. So you coaches out there, train medium system, got to be really good at it, I think. I think it's pretty key, do you know what I mean? So there's your free tip from Dan, friend of Lewis there. <laughs> All right, close that with Brad. Yeah, building off Dan's thought. I mean, if you look at Penn State's offense, they had eight errors, and I looks like seven of them were blocks, and there was one true hitting error. So Cal Fisher either hit a ball into the net or into the 10 or out long. But one hitting error throughout the course of a match is pretty unreal. And given the pace that Ohio State was bringing, and they were, they were bringing it from the end line, and they aired about 25% of the time. So to be able to manage that and fight that off with such a clean offensive hitting efficiency is rather impressive, you know, and that's a testament to Bogner being one of the better centers in the country, uh, along with the two guys we saw play on Saturday night. Yep. Great call. Uh, the results of that match show a three, one Penn state or Ohio state 25, 22, 24, 26, 25, 13 and 26, 24. 
So, uh, but yeah, definitely some really great, it's a great showcase of opposites, but in seeing how um, a team like Penn State did make those adjustments against past year, because we knew they were going to go to him. And he had the hot hand coming into that night and uh, they did a pretty effective job. But I wanted to shout out to uh, Brett Wildman and Michal Koval. I mean, sometimes they get overlooked, but they had, they were performing well. I mean, Koval, not as many kills, but he hit 500 on the night, but uh, it's things that he does that chasing down balls and, uh, you know, was able able to keep uh, Ohio state or actually Penn state in system and a uh, Wildman just cracking it. You know, he's just, he keep, he's such a, a tough athlete to adjust to as well. So uh, Penn state's got a lot of good weapons and uh good match to see. Um, I'm going to jump Wildman. to Wednesday night. Oops. Interesting thing though, I just as watching Wildman didn't have a great year, like the first half of the season. Um, and I think the last two weeks, conference tournament included, going into the NCAA tournament, we all saw Wildman play the level that he's capable of playing, which was really great for fans because, like you just said, the guy's got an arm and we really saw him, I think, really step it up, which was great. Yeah. Well, good. That brings us to Wednesday night as he well, was normally the All American banquet. And I know that there were some criticisms of like it being downgraded to all American reception. And then it became a social, but uh, it was held at, I mean, this sounds weird, a Dave and Buster's, but if you were there, you can see everyone had a good time. And you could see the athletes going into the arcade, playing games, hanging out. You know, there's Champlin doing this reflex machine and you could see Olivier wanting to walk up and challenge. Yeah. I mean, the competition between these guys is hilarious, but isn't good fun. But it just created a great atmosphere for an event. So when we finally had everyone had everyone to sit down uh, to talk about the winners, where the you, know, you have the assistant coach of the year, Milan Zarkovich of Hawaii, and then we mentioned uh, Spra of as the head of the uh, head coach of the year, and had a very heartfelt speech to everyone there uh, because I mean he knows that his family's been having to grind this out. And and you know anyone knows Spra's family situation. He's basically taking the train to UCLA every day and because he lives. Yeah, you know, yeah, in California, it's like probably 60 miles. But you factor in traffic, what should only be an hour and a half commute turns into a three-hour commute, both there and back. Uh, and he's been doing that. And uh, he's saying it's like we've been working hard. Support of the family has been crucial. And then uh, you know, just was very thankful to his wife, Michelle, and seeing the girls there uh, as well. And then you had uh, a surprise appearance by Hostas Theoharides. Uh, I guess he's from the East Coast area. Uh, former All-American at University of Hawaii. Came in and was hanging out with a the crew there. And then uh, the uh, announced retirement of Kathy DeBoer, the AVCA, after, gosh, how many years is it, Dan, that she's been serving there? Uh, in, in the 20s, maybe? 20s, 20s, yeah. give or take? So, yeah. So, yeah, she'd mentioned this is the last year, and I just want to thank her for her contribution. She's presenting the awards for the last time, and uh, pretty funny because uh, the uh, moment of the night, Jalen Jasper gets his award, and Jalen Jasper is a big dude, right? So he's wearing a jacket that says Playboy, <laughs> and you see Kathy DeBoer lean into the Playboy logo on the side of his arm, and people shooting the shot. <laughs> so, <laughs> and 17 cool. years, just so you know, 17 years. Yeah. Ago. 17. So it was a funny moment. Everyone caught that. I'm like, oh gosh, she's, if that goes viral, that's going to be hilarious. <laughs> and then, uh, who am I missing? The player of the year, Jakob Tella of Hawaii. And uh, gosh, I feel like I'm missing another big piece there. But uh, 
Freshman of the year, Rowan. Yeah. Yes, yeah. fresh. Yeah. And I mean, talk about step. Well, first of all, uh, Jakob Tella, great, great career at Hawaii. Um, and we know he started off the season a little injured and didn't even start some matches, but came back, made a big, strong push towards, uh, well, for the rest of the season when he came back. Uh, and then Rowan, everyone knows Rowan. We'll talk about him because we still have one more big match to talk about, uh, or actually a couple more. So, but that was a night, you know, it was a fun night. And I think is very well received has done, uh, considering like you think Dave and Busters, if you guys know, it's like, oh, let's just all hang around. But it was a good night. And I think that people really enjoyed it and seeing the athletes engage and, and just interact in a, a very social scene was fun to see. Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I was not there. Uh, I had some prior engagements to, to be a part of and And listen, it's an all American uh, banquet celebration and, and I wasn't being awarded or anything. And none of my guys were, so I didn't feel that there was a need. It wasn't like I was just going out with my friends, but I will tell you this at first, there were some concerns. People said, Dave and Busters, what, what are we doing? We're having it at a pizza joint. It's like a Chuck E. Cheese. Everybody thought it was going to be Chuck E. Cheese. First of all, Dave and Busters is not a bad place to hang out, even for adults. And that's kind of fun. Second of all, they closed the whole place down. It wasn't like there were kids screaming and yelling down on the other side of the place. And, you know, we had a little corner saved for us. I've been to some of these things in the past, and some of them are held in little banquet halls, and others are held in an entryway of a, of a gym, you know, and kind of put it's so, you know, there's all these different areas and locations. This one from everything I've heard from everybody who attended said it was a blast. And you're right. All the kids got to hang out. They're all uber competitive as it is. And all of them know each other to some degree. So they're all now running around with these free gift cards and they're all swiping and playing games, having a blast. That's what the whole thing is about recognizing the best, and having fun while you're doing it. Can't complain with that. Good call. And any thoughts on the uh, All-America Banquet from the rest of the crew? Yeah, I was there. I, all I would say is like, post-COVID, I'm just glad we're back to doing stuff. So I just, I think <laughs> sometimes we forget about that. And I've been at every single championship the past 10 years almost, you know what I mean? And so like, uh, so whether it was Dave and Buster's, whatever, Mason, as again, I'll probably say later, did a fantastic job with this event, uh, as well with the banquet. Uh, and so, uh, and the guys had a good time and I think every different place can create some unique culture, whether it's a full blown banquet, whether UCLA did the, uh, kind of the hors d'oeuvres appetizer thing and it was outside, which was really cool in terms of that. And so I think everybody kind of puts their own little flair on it. So, uh, and it was great to see the guys go to, uh, get their awards and get honored. So, yeah, well, that's right. Cause last year at UCLA, I got to host the, or MC that, and they're definitely, because it's coming out of COVID, there was an element of like, still people being a little, you know, wanting to maintain distance a little bit, really felt like that wasn't there this time around. And it, it was so pleasant. It's very noticeable. I'm not saying everyone was freaking out last year at UCLA, but you tell people are just cautious. And when they warmed up, finally you could tell the, the mood, the atmosphere started to change at UCLA, but here there was, just, it wasn't there. Everyone just kind of hanging out. So, but that brings us to our Thursday matches, semifinal number one, UCLA versus Long Beach State. Well, we never, we don't have an MPSF representative and that's been, uh, Theo has been the nominee for that. So let's have him start first. Yeah. I think it's Brad, yeah. Wait, wait, it's Brad's turn to start first, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. You know what? Yeah. Let's see what Brad's got. So we'll let ah. him have the first shake at it. Ah, so. All right, we can take it off. Uh, I mean, 
it was a highlight of kind of the two question marks. I put them in quotations because I think for some people, um, they're not necessarily question marks, but this was a highlight of, hey, what was Andrew Rowan going to be able to do? Uh, and how is he going to be able to perform in this stage, in this moment as a true freshman, as the freshman of the year? <sighs> and his team hit 446. So I think he did just fine. Um, I think he checked out there. And then the other um, really big question mark with UCLA kind of through the years and, and this year, especially with how well-rounded they were, was, was their serving. And they served in at an incredible rate. They served in at 91%, which is pretty ridiculous. And that's, that's up there for about as good as it's going to get for a team and for the pace that they were putting on those balls. Um, and they kind of answered both those bells. And it was a pretty dominating performance against a really good Long Beach State team that they just continued to handle them. And, you know, there would be runs from Long Beach, whether it be Connor Bloom from the end line or Torwee from the end line. There'd be different runs that would come and UCLA would answer the bell and answer the bell and answer the bell. And a lot of it was showcased by Andrew Rowan and, and his performance he put on and specifically said in the pin hitters who I think all three of them hit a right around 500, if not a little bit above 500. Um, so yeah, Rowan and UCLA serving were, were great. Yep. Let's bounce over to Dan. Yeah. So I think Long Beach, unfortunately, just, I don't know that we saw the, the best Long Beach team that, you know, especially compared to the other night on Tuesday, uh, you know, Clark hit zero five nine, and and granted, uh, kudos to, um, you know, UCLA. They created the pressure from that standpoint and what they were doing. But uh, I've certainly seen them be a little bit better, and so and I think that's you know we walk into this format a little bit where, you know, you come in and you like if we do get to expand the bracket, you get two separate weekends. Maybe your volleyball becomes a little fresher. That's not excuses or anything, but. If Ohio State somehow would have squeaked out of that Penn State match, I don't think they would have had a whole lot left in the tank on the third match in like three or four days in terms of that. But, uh, but yeah, I think UCLA was great. They were they really kind of set the bar on the serving piece, and which you knew was going to walk into their finals match. And uh, and you know, and you need the Long Beach to be a little bit cleaner in that serve pass area for sure uh, from their standpoint. So yeah. All right, now we bounce over to Theo. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think we heard Sparaw talk about this a little bit, um, but it can be a challenge having a bye and coming into a match when you, you know, the other team has had a little bit of a warm up and had an opportunity to kind of see some things, make some mistakes, take the jitters out, whatever it may be. Um, and UCLA had no problem. Uh, they came right out of the gate and I thought they played incredibly well in that first set. And of all of the matches that were played in this tournament, this was probably the only one that wasn't close. Um UCLA really handled Long Beach. And I agree with Dan. I, I don't know that we saw the best version of Long Beach, especially down the stretch. Even in that match against Grand Canyon, there were some things that just looked off about them. Uh, but for sure in this one, the pressure got to them. And you just saw some really uncharacteristic, like not going for a cover and, and things that just this Long Beach team really didn't do throughout this season. They were pretty darn crisp and, and pretty clean in the way that they played. And you know, Clark Gobbled has been the heart and soul for them, especially down the stretch. And, uh, you know, UCLA took him out of the game and really put him in a box and, and made it incredibly difficult for him to score points. And, uh, you know, that ended up being really the the game changer. You know, UCLA won the serving pass game. And David, David really 
was ridiculous. And he was ridiculous all tournament long. But in this match, I it just, I mean, 24 swings, 17 kills, hit 625, and just made it look so damn easy while he was doing it. I mean, it was it was really, really impressive. And this UCLA team, I mean, as we know the future results of how this went down, I mean, they showed in this match that they were the real deal and uh, and that this was going to be a great tournament for them. Theo, you realize that Ido David was sick that night. Was he really? Yep. <laughs> if that's what sick looks like, I'll take a lot of illness for the rest of my life, please. <laughs> yeah, in there, uh, when they uh, were going up to the bracket board to put up the uh, the moving on uh, ceremony that they do afterwards, uh, Sparrow was saying, we, we give this honor to David, who is sick as a dog this morning and came out and did what he did tonight. So I was wondering what he was talking about. That makes a hell of a lot more sense. Wow. Impressive. Not sick. Like in a millennial term, like, dude, bro, you're sick. It was, he was sick. <laughs> Let's close it out with Jay. I, I'll be real brief. Cause I know we're hampered by time. Uh, two things ring true for me. One, uh, everyone's right. That was not long Beach's best match of the year by a long shot. Number two, they just looked off communication wise and tempo wise Saturday hitter combinations all night. They didn't look like themselves. Unfortunately uh, for them, UCLA capitalized on it. Moving on. All right. Uh, so with that, that brings us to semifinal match number two, Hawaii versus Penn State. Uh, Brad, our resident Big West dude on it. I mean, this was a dogfight, and these teams were very, very evenly matched. You look at the numbers, you look at the stats, you watch it, and it could have gone either either way. And I think this was going into it, the match that everyone was really intrigued to see how it would play out. And it played out exactly how you would expect with a five-set mat, five-set battle and Hawaii being a little bit more experienced, a little better. And I mean, Jakob Tella and Mucleus kind of were the difference in that fifth set for them. And um, they were just a little bit better than Wildman and Fisher and Bogmer, Bogner in that fifth set. So it was a battle, that's for sure. It was That was an entertaining volleyball match. Yep. Go over to Dan of Lewis. Well, we were talking in the previous round where Penn State made, but Brad, we said one error, hitting error that wasn't a block. Like, and in this match, I mean, the errors kind of piled up a little bit. So uh, they had 18 hitting errors, and you know, I think uh, Hawaii had about uh, 15 blocks. And so I think it's certainly a different tale in terms of that side of things. And But I still go back. You go to that fifth game, and Penn State finds a way to kind of create some serving momentum in on the court versus in the net and missing, like, to start that match. I'm not even sure Cal's got to go at 100%. He could have kind of chopped one, spaced one, put some pressure on those guys. I think it might have swinged some momentum on that. But, you know, they missed him and Wildman both miss. And then the middles missed really bad. Uh, and so it just – it didn't create that flow in that game you want to start off with. And so I think that made it pretty difficult. And then basically you hadn't seen a ton of middle from Hawaii until you got into that fifth set. And all of a sudden Jakob finds the middle, bang, 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 and the game's done. So miss serves, <laughs> find the middle – why it goes on to the next round and so but uh it was a great match it was fun to watch it was fun to see them come back and uh the place was just rocking you know what i mean the hawaii fans got silenced and then all of a sudden they came alive and i think i'm pretty sure hawaii's band and fans are at least worth one or two points per game uh in that facility in terms of that so 
All right, over to Theo. Yeah, this was this was an exciting match for sure. Obviously, a five setter, and and uh, you know, I thought Hawaii came out of the gates absolutely playing great. And you know, in in comparison to their prior national championship teams, the the drop off that happened after sets after set two, essentially three and four looked like a completely different Hawaii team. And you give credit to Penn State, but I thought Penn State was pretty consistent throughout this match. I, set one was a little anomaly. Um, but the rest of the match, they were three to 400 um, set to set, and which has kind of been their MO all year, uh, where Hawaii had probably two of the worst sets I've seen them play all season. Um, they hit 071 in set three and hit 143 in set four, uh, which just for them is really uncharacteristic. And, you know, they showed some flaws and showed some 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 definite human uh, attributes out there. Uh, Chakas just didn't look that sharp, um, was not himself. And I think for the Hawaii fans out there, I'm sure they were bummed and thinking, man, I, I wish that he would have the kind of night we would hope so. And um, where Voss was really, really good. And, you know, obviously Demi was fantastic throughout this entire tournament. Uh, but give my give my credit to Penn State. I thought they did a fantastic job. And I agree with Dan. I think they really could have snuck this one out. Uh, the fifth set, they started off a little little shaky and um, Hawaii found a way to kind of get it going and and rob that momentum from them. Uh, but this was a good match. And, you know, obviously Hawaii pulls it out. Yep. Close that with Jay. Yeah, real quick. Again, I, I think uh, Penn State in the fifth game, uh, resembled to me like what Long Beach looked like against UCLA. They just looked out of sorts. They were not connecting. The service errors in the fifth game for Penn State were uh, way too high. And normally in a match like that, they would not have missed that much, I don't think. Uh, the second thing for me uh, is that um, Hawaii, uh, J Tella just found the right people at the right time. Uh, and they just looked way too good at the at that last moment. And, and give credit to Penn State, they they fought tooth and nail all year long. Uh, but I heard a very good coach from a team that might have won, uh, not necessarily the head, but somebody on staff who will remain nameless, who said to Pav afterwards, "You were more unlucky than you were bad." Uh, and that's just I, I thought that was pretty uh, pretty appropriate for the moment. Penn State just hiccuped at the wrong moment. Uh, who knows what could have happened. I'll have to say that there was some phenomenal effort displayed, and I'm only going to name two of them. You had Waldman going into the scores table, laying on the committee's lap, literally. There's a photo of that courtside, uh, but was going for a ball because it just refused to die, which was awesome to see. And less than a couple of plays later, Bogner goes over the review challenge system or closer to that area because he won't let a ball die. So uh, <clears throat> just a great display. Then Hawaii, you called it the middle pop, pop, pop towards the end of that fifth set. I'm like, wow, <laughs> Voss and, and uh, Hoagland are, have just stepped up at the right times for Hawaii, which brings us to our final match. I hate to rush us through, but I, I definitely want to cover it. And uh, number one, UCLA, number two, Hawaii, the matchup that every single poll, every single person was anticipating seeing, and it happened. So let's start with, uh, let's go with Jay on this one. Yeah, I'll, I'll be quick because I know the other guys have some insights and everybody's heard me on the broadcast. UCLA, Hawaii, best two teams in the country in the finals. Uh, absolutely electric in the first two sets. Uh, that gym was rocking. Uh, I give all the credit to UCLA. And J.R. Norris, the fourth. How about that kid coming in and having five aces uh, and putting some pressure on Hawaii? 
like you could see Hawaii was trying to do things that they normally got away with and UCLA was not having it. Uh, and they just, they, they took it there at the end. Congratulations to UCLA and congratulations to Hawaii. One match does not define how your season went. You guys played well the entire year and just came up a little bit short in one match at the end of the year, but both teams deserving hats off to UCLA. Congratulations to Hawaii. That's what I saw. All right. Over to Brad. Yeah. I mean, the difference here was the serve received passing. I mean, you have Champlin who wasn't um, his traditional self offensively, but pass lights out. You had Gooch who was probably the best libero, especially the best libero and serve receive all year long. And then Alex Knight, who was great in serve receive and maybe had the best match of his career in the biggest moment, which was pretty cool and pretty special to see. Um, and they ended up being in system at 60, 60% and Hawaii was in system at 40%. And that's a huge difference in a match like that. Yep. Let's go over to Dan. Here's one for you. 50 attempts between, give or take 50 attempts between the four middles. Everybody's hitting 500 plus out of the middle. Just <laughs> middles were ridiculous. Like, and I, I think Brad said it. They, if you could pass better or set your middles, it was just a feast for those guys. Those guys were pretty fun to watch and all those scenarios and the setters were finding those guys and, and, and props to, I thought J.R. Norris could have been MVP, honestly, good be until like, uh, not that Alex Knight didn't deserve it from a passing standpoint and some things he did, but you talk about a guy who shifted some momentum uh, and really closed it out at the end. That was pretty impressive, but maybe unsung hero, uh, Gooch, the libero, like, man, that guy was good. Like some digs and some servicey stuff and, you know, Amoeba product. I'm going to throw some Amoeba love out there. Do you have any Fort Wayne? And, uh, but yeah, uh, congrats to UCLA, John and his group. I know he's been hunting for that for a while and, uh, first championship there in what, 20 years or whatever. And so, but, uh, but yeah, great volleyball for sure. <laughs> Norris gets the, uh, M most outstanding celebration face of the year. Cause every time he got set by Rowan and put it away, he puts a stank face points at Rowan and it looks so gangsta, <laughs> but it's, a, it's hilarious to watch courtside. And I caught it a couple of times during the season, but I mean, that guy is just such a spark plug off the bench, but, um, let's jump over to Theo. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this was what a treat for the men's volleyball community fans. I mean, this was the best volleyball I have seen probably ever. Um, and those first two sets were out. I mean, they were just out of this world, right? I think early on, Brad had mentioned what was the best set of the tournament. Set two was unreal. And you could tell, I mean, the broadcasters were talking about it. Um, the friends of mine texting, talking with different people that were watching this match. I mean, this was really, really a treat for our community and, and just a testament to how far our, our sport has grown. Um, and, you know, you give, your, you give your hat off for sure to UCLA. Uh, they, they played absolutely fantastic and did some things down the stretch. I feel like these guys covered most of it. Uh, but if you've been with us on this podcast along the way, we predicted that these two teams would be here. Um, and would be in this moment and for sure they rose to the occasion and and showed us what you know what heart dedication and hard work really looks like and uh, to see these guys perform at that level and and to do it on that stage was just fantastic really really awesome one of the best plays I saw was Ito did Dimitri on the cross court bomb at 80 miles an hour plus or something straight yep. up there and then get set again 
and get a kill out of it. I just you were just. I remember that. I remember that exact play, Dan. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me ask you guys this: saying they were toe to toe, and if you look at the final box, ten aces to three. But was there an element of Hawaii maybe getting worn out in the third and fourth because of the, I mean, the difficulty of the serving by UCLA? Because, I mean, they've been going toe to toe for the first two sets, and if that keeps coming at you. How does that wear and tear on your receivers? This is such a game of momentum, Rob. And, you know, when the pressure is tight and you've got so many opportunities to be in a position to score, and then the other team goes on a serving run, and now most of your sets are coming from 20 feet or beyond, um, and your hitters are just in situations where it's really difficult to kill the ball, it becomes demoralizing and trying to trying to continue to bounce back when UCLA is putting that type of service pressure and, and then in the reverse, as soon as you get an opportunity to score, like Dan said, Gooch and, and Champlin are, are getting you in perfect in-system balls. And they've got they've got a, you know, a middle attack that is incredibly effective. I mean, Merrick was just lights out down the stretch. Some of his swings were over the block in the middle of the court. I mean, just completely untouchable. It was, uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough when the serve receive isn't there and uh, the service pressure is that strong. Yeah, I think that's the thing where you talk about like the novice fans watching sometimes. Why are they missing so many servers? Well, like if you don't find the pressure, then you don't put them in a position to score where you need to. You know what I mean? And so if I just serve lollipops over and they're hitting that a 800 clip on me, it gets really difficult. And so, but then on the flip side, if you're missing all your serves all the time, which we saw with like Penn State going into the fifth, then all of a sudden you kind of open the door for the other team and it swings momentum like Theo talked about. So it's this real fine line when you're training, trying to get guys confident with good pressure to create momentum. And we saw maybe some of the best teams in the country doing it for a couple of days. And, uh, and you saw some execute and then you saw some didn't. And I think it really, that's where your winner comes out. Yeah. Well, we now have a national champion UCLA after a it's an 11 year stint of without one Sprague gets his first at UCLA after his last one in 2012 at UC Irvine. And I, I have a feeling we have to do an overflow one. I feel like there are a bunch of things we need to recap on the season and also overflow conversation from this week due to our time constraints. But you guys down with that for next week? I mean, now we got a public record. So good. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so hey, uh, it's uh, um, Brad Rothschild of UC San Diego, Jay Hosick of George Mason, Theo Edwards of CSUN, and Dan Fran of Lewis. Thank you again this week. Sorry to cut it short, but fans will have one more episode. So that means we'll have the After Dark episode because, you know, when I throw the After Dark on there, that boosts listenership by like, you know, 2,000%. So, <laughs> all right, gentlemen, have a good week. Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Espero at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter.